0: Well, I am delighted to be back. Uh, It was a very productive trip for the last, for those of you didn't know, uh, for about 10 days, Nancy and I were over in the United Kingdom for the every other year. There's a, a meeting of the United Kingdom Partnership, which is a partnership that helps promote and fund and source and be colleagues with pastors who are beginning new churches called church planters in the United Kingdom, seeking to re-evangelize the United Kingdom, where in large part, only 2% of the population on a regular or weekly basis attends what we would call gospel preaching churches. And a total of only about 4% or 3.8% attend any church or any kind of religious organization at all on a regular basis. I mean, it's really a small minority. So it's great to be back. Uh, But it was a a very productive trip. I'm pretty amazed that God made the way for us to pass COVID tests, going there, arriving and coming back and wearing all those masks and getting all through all the various protocols and returning safely. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, We were at several different locations meeting with different groups of church planters throughout the United Kingdom. The first couple days we were in London. And then we moved up to Manchester, which is also in the the country of of England, the nation of England. And then we were up in uh, Scotland, uh, based in Edinburgh, but also visiting the church. uh, We support uh, our our First Presbyterian supports in Haddington, which is in East Lothian, about a 40 minute drive outside to the east of of, uh, Edinburgh. And then also up to the Island of Skye and, and, and then visiting uh, two churches that we're going to be supporting, church planters we're going to be supporting in the future, in a place called Winchborough, which is to the, uh, uh, to the west of Edinburgh, and, and then down below Edinburgh at, uh, at a place called Gala Shields, uh, which is in the borders in between Northumberland and Lothian, you know, kind of as you get into Scotland. We'll be supporting a church plant there in Gala Shields, which is just, just down the road from Melrose, if you know Melrose and Melrose Abbey in Scotland. Well, you know, going to all these places, one of the things that uh, is, is certainly not as dramatic as going truly international to entirely different cultures. Uh, but you know it's important to be aware of who's hosting you and what their expectations are, what their etiquette is, uh, what their joys are, what they're really interested in. You know, we'd know that even in the United States, if I invited you to come visit some folks who uh, were big uh, University Alabama fans, you probably wouldn't wanna talk about how much you love Lane Kiffin the entire evening of having dinner with them. Or Mississippi State fans, vice versa, right? If if you're gonna visit folks who are into classical music, you wouldn't wanna be tearing down classical music and saying, the only thing I like is rap. Let's play some rap music while we're having dinner. It's important to know not only what the expectations are, but specifically, what the joys or delights of people are. I, I can guarantee you this, pretty much any grandparent that I might connect you with for dinner, it's really important to ask about the grandchildren and to talk about the grandchildren and to ooh and ah when you're shown pictures. Let me just let me give you a little hint. You know, It's important to know what your host and what the household's guidelines are, expectations, but here's the thing, even if you know which fork to use or which spoon to use or what to wear, Again, if you don't get to the heart of the host, you've pretty much lost out, right? Because I could use all the right forks and spoons, and I could wear the right clothes, but again, if I'm insulting my guest, or or even maybe not that intensely, but I'm just not touching heart to heart with them, I'm going to miss something, right? And I noticed that in the different places we were, in Ealing, which is kind of a working place, area in the united kingdom visiting the independent presbyterian church there that was quite different than uh, the next night we were at the royal automobile club i don't know if you've ever eaten at the royal automobile club but uh the pastor of the church at uh, saint james Clerkenwell, if you know that church in england it's an evangelical um, anglican church uh, the, the pastor there is a protege of a guy named john stott who wrote the commentary on galatians that our crusader class is using right now uh, his father-in-law is a member of the Royal Automobile Club. It was quite different eating there and the dress code and what you were expected to do than, you know, eating over in Ealing, okay, a working-class area. But but nevertheless, you know, when we were, Nancy and I had the pleasure of actually eating with Archie, our host, who's a major architect in the United Kingdom. And uh, sure enough, I knew to talk about his grandchildren. I knew to talk about his daughter, who is such a supportive A pastor's wife to his son-in-law, who's a great leader in the Anglican evangelical movement. You know, you kind of know what's on their heart. Well, today, we're going to be coming to the Lord's table. So wouldn't it make sense that we would be interested in what the Lord's expectations are? Hmm? And and even better, what if you could know God's heart and soul? Wouldn't that be awesome? I, I think we'd be much better at the table if we're attuned to and seeking out what God loves, whom God loves. And so I want to be inviting you to do that today. We're going to be opening to uh, the very first verse in the very first of a sequence of four what are often called servant songs or prophecies of this servant or the servant who is going to come in the book of Isaiah that run in that key section of Isaiah we've been talking about lately, from Isaiah 40 through Isaiah 55. And there are four servant prophecies that are major. They're magisterial and they basically set the pace, they're basically the bridge to Jesus's coming into the New Testament. If you kind of miss out on the servant prophecies of Isaiah 40 through 55, you've missed out on a lot. You're way behind when you start reading the gospels about Jesus. So in the first of these four servant songs, it's it's in Isaiah chapter 42. We're gonna just focus on one verse today and I'll open it up from the scripture in a minute for you, but I just want you to resonate and hear. I've been thinking a lot about this verse over the last few days and this verse opens up, it's a dramatic verse. It really frames, it really frames, I know I've been telling you some other verses or passages that do the same thing, but it really does frame the rest of the Old Testament all the way through what Jesus does in the Gospels. And, and the verse goes like this. God says, behold my servant. So you have a command from God. It's a command. God says, behold my servant whom I am hold. Behold my servant whom I uphold. My chosen in whom my soul delights. Did you hear that? I'm going to come back to that. The name of this sermon is God's Delight. My chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth, he will bring forth justice to the nations, to the Gentiles. Goyim means nations or Gentiles. My chosen in whom my soul delights. Well, today's sermon is... God's Delight. You have sermon notes for this. If you're listening online, watching online, or listening to the podcast, we'll post these on the website, and if you cannot reach them, just access them, uh, access us, and we will send these to you. Today's message, God's Delight, I want to be inviting you to, this is a summary of the message today, to find your true self, your true significance, your salvation, and your service. In other words, your life's purpose in God's delight, in the servant. And then in his spirit, to follow the servant, the servant of all servants, the one that this passage is talking about, who is God's delight, and to serve his mission to bring God's justice to the nations. In other words, to all people. So that's, that's, what, that's the application point we'll get to in the second part of this sermon today, um, and I want to invite you again to focus on this verse. So I'm going to open the Bible, and let's show it again, or you can turn in your Bible to this. We're going to be spending a lot of time digging into this verse uh, this is another one of these chapters. Yes, this is another one of these Pastor Martin things. You know, as we go through Isaiah, I get to these chapters, and I say, there's no way we're doing this chapter in one Sunday. We're going to spend some Sundays on Isaiah 42. It's just so important, just like Isaiah 40 is so important. Here, so here's our verse. Here, Here's here are God's word now. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen it's a doubling there. The servant is the chosen one, okay? That's a, these two things are saying the same, talking about the same person. Behold my servant whom I behold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Now, I want you to get the resonance of what God is saying here. This is a direct message from God, and God is giving a command. This is after calling even the coastlands and the nations from afar to judgment before him. So although this passage is clearly principally addressed to God's people, ultimately I would read this passage as addressed to all people. And by the way, I can tell you, if you open up a lot of commentaries, they'll say, oh no, I, I, Isaiah simply seeing the exiles. And this is just a message for the exiles after the times of trouble in the, you know, heading into and in the 500s, in the late 500s. I don't read this passage at all like that. It's not framed like that. And it's right after God has called the coastlands to account. And this is a message of God's outreach, not only to redeem all Israel, all true Israel, all his people, but also to extend the gospel invitation To all nations. This is clearly what's happening in this passage. Um, Behold my servant whom I uphold. Do you hear that resonance there? This servant belongs to God, and God is the one who's going to uphold him. God isn't saying, Behold my servant. I need you guys to help out upholding him because I'm having a tough time here with the servant. No, no, no. Behold my servant, Abdi, my servant, whom I uphold. My chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. And he will bring forth justice to the nations, to the Gentiles. So, let's let's unpack a few things here. This is really important for you to understand, for us to understand the Bible, the gospel, and certainly what's going on in these servant songs. Number one servant. Wait a minute, we might say, servant is not a good term. It's kind of a demeaning term. If I went around and introduced you to everybody as my servant, you might be a little bit insulted or put off, wouldn't you? If I went around and said, here's Glenda, my servant. I mean, you would be like, why's Martin talking like that, right? Servant doesn't sound like an acclamation on his face, does it? And in fact, even in the ancient world and in the Bible, Servant is a flexible term, and let me tell you what it's flexible, to. You can see, I think I have this in the notes. The issue is, who is the Lord of the servant? Let me, let me take a step back and remind you that every living creature, every person, serves someone or something. So let me ask you today. Whom are you serving? What are you serving? What's your agenda this week? I, you know, Is it, well, my family? Is it, well, what other people want from me? My boss? Uh, the in crowd? I, you need to answer that question, but you are serving someone. Everybody has a service and everybody is a servant of something or someone. Is it just the almighty dollar? I don't know, but tell me because you are a servant of someone. And then here's the thing that gets really interesting. The significance of the servant depends on the significance of the Lord whom the servant serves. Your importance, your significance has to do with whom your Lord is and what you do for your Lord. So in other words, If I am the chief steward of the king of the nation, I am a servant, but man, I'm the right-hand guy for the king. That's pretty important, right? The guy who shines the king's shoes may be not so important, but at least he works for the king, right? If I'm the servant of, uh, you know, the bum who tries to swindle everybody and is robbing everybody and is put out on the street and I'm serving him, Or I'm in prison and I'm serving like the worst guy and the lowest guy on the totem pole who's also like just a total corrupt guy in the prison. I'm probably not very significant. I'm not making a very good choice about my service, am I? The way it works in the Bible is there are a lot of people serving lots of things and lots of folks. There are emperors, there's all kinds of folks. The only people who are really important ultimately and have significance that lasts are people who serve Almighty God. This thing's still on? That was kind of dramatic, okay. Um, So I guess God really wants us to be aware of this, okay? The only, okay, here's the thing. You, you have a choice, but the way the Bible keeps telling us, the message of the Bible is this, only if you are serving God Do you matter ultimately? And does your service last? You hear what I'm saying? So that's the deal about the servant. You know, don't, don't, so you've got to understand, and my question is, to whom or to what is your life dedicated? To whom or to what is your life dedicated? As the old saying goes and the old songs go, you're gonna serve somebody. Whom are you serving? But again, a servant's significance derives from who the Lord is and what the servant does for the Lord. What are you doing for God right now? I hope you have some kind of game plan and obedience and faithfulness plan for this week. I mean, because if you're going into this week blind, I don't know. know, I don't know what I'm going to do for God. Your life isn't going to have much significance. Jesus has saved you on purpose for a purpose. Who is your Lord and what are you going to do for him? Now, in the Old Testament, there are a lot of really high-level famous people who are called specifically um, Ebed Yahweh, servants of the Lord. And this is kind of a Hall of Fame list. In the Bible, specifically, explicitly listed as servants of the Lord are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I think I have these listed for you in the sermon notes. Moses, Joshua, David, and then in the book of Isaiah itself, Isaiah, right, chapter 20, Isaiah is referred to as a servant of the Lord, and Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, is also listed as a servant of the Lord, and then Israel, the collective people, Israel, are listed as the servant of the Lord. The problem that we're running into in, in all of this part of the Bible and certainly in this time frame and certainly with Isaiah is Israel's not a faithful servant of the Lord. When you start reading about the Lord saying, behold, my servant, one of the issues, one of the interpretive issues is, is God talking about Israel? Well, you keep reading about this servant and he's going to have to redeem Israel. So <laughs> this servant is not himself collective Israel. We've got a distinction that's going to develop in the servant songs. We're talking about somebody else who's going to need to save Israel or redeem Israel. I wonder who that might be. We're going to come to his table shortly. Now, let me go to another thing here. God's soul. Did that catch your attention? My chosen in whom my soul delights. Have you ever heard people talk about God's soul very much? I haven't. It's not in the Bible very much, but this passage got me thinking about God's soul. And there's just a handful of times that God refers to his soul in the entire Old Testament. in the entire Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 26, if you were with me a few Wednesday nights ago, you know, we studied Leviticus and the Day of Atonement and all this atoning sacrifice that brings people to God so that that Moses and Israel might actually be able to come into God's tabernacle. So after all this atonement and all these provisions, because at the start of Leviticus, they can't have fellowship with God. They cannot have communion with God. They can't get close to God. Okay. After all this, in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 11, God says this, after, after their atoning works and everything, I will make my dwelling among you, God says to Israel. Literally, I will tabernacle with you. I will tabernacle with you. And my soul shall not abhor you. Now, you can read between the lines there. In other words, because of their sin, their unatoned for sin and uncleanness, they were abhorrent to God's soul. And now God has made provision, so, well, you know, you won't be abhorrent to me anymore, so I'll let you tabernacle with me. Now, does that sound the highest level you could get? No, it's kind of a, um, at least you get in the door, right? And, you're, and, and you don't abhor God's soul anymore. His soul doesn't abhor you, but hmm, not quite. In the book of Judges, in chapter 10, another one of these cycles where the Israelites are repenting, um, they're turning away from foreign gods. And the Lord God says, um, it reports in Judges chapter 10 that he, this is in verse 16, he became impatient over the misery of Israel. The King James Version has a better translation on this than the ESV. Specifically, the term here is, his soul was grieved for, God's soul was grieved for the of misery, uh, misery of Israel and he decided to redeem him again, save him again. Okay, so God's soul was grieved. There's one other time, other than this Isaiah passage, you get this message about God's soul, and it's over in the New Covenant side of the Old Testament. In, in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 41, I have this one cited for you as well. On the other side of this developing New Covenant that God is going to establish this new people under a New Covenant, the supper today is a celebration of New Covenant, God says, I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and soul. Did you hear that? God is going to establish a new covenant people and plant them with all his heart and soul. So those are the other passages that I saw in the Old Testament that refer to God's own soul. Except this one. And this one we're on today is the pinnacle. We're not just talking about, well, you know, if you follow these rituals and you submit to me and repent, uh, my soul won't abhor you. Now we're talking about the delight of the Lord's soul. And how are we going to see that? How are we going to know that? God gives us the command Behold, look at, wake up, pay attention, look at, focus on my servant whom I uphold. My chosen in whom my soul delights. Remember how I talked about grandparents, their souls delight in, you know, grandchildren and this, man, if you are going to come to God's house and come into communion with God, I, I have a key clue to you. Focus on the one in whom his soul delights. And that is this servant that we're reading about. That's the message there. The delight of God's soul. Jesus is God's delight. And listen to this. Listen to how he not only in his very essence is the delight of the father's soul. He also is the delight of the father's soul because Jesus fulfills the gospel of servanthood. Again, remember what this verse is about. Behold my servant. Wait a minute, he's your son. Yeah, but he's also my servant. He's going to fulfill my kingdom work that I have intended. Jesus, God's delight, preaches and fulfills servanthood as the heart of the gospel, as the heart of God's kingdom, and as the heart of greatness. Wake up. Let's wake up, Christians. The world defines greatness totally different than God does. Do you hear what I'm saying? The gospel defines greatness as totally different. Power is totally different. The, the, what the Bible is telling us and what Isaiah is telling us, what God is telling us through these prophets, through all the scripture, is this My glory and my greatness is not only in my transcendent power, but it is also, and even more to the heart of the matter, found and fulfilled in my servanthood, my grace for you. That's real power. That's real glory. And God says, do you want to see my glory? Let me open it up to you. Here it is, the message of the cross and Jesus, who though being in the form of God, I'm in Philippians 2 right now, right? 2, 2 6 and following. Who, though being in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a what? Pice in Greek, right? Servant. And being found in human likeness, he became obedient. The very son of God, the servant, became obedient unto death. Even death on the cross Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, the servant, is Lord to the glory of God, the Father almighty. And Jesus teaches us this. Jesus teaches his apostles. They're so confused about this. They're all, you know, jockeying to be great in the kingdom and I want to be the lead apostle. You get this over and over again, as we preached through Mark a couple of years ago, we saw this. They're, they're arguing about who is the greatest? And Jesus sets, sits them down and calls them to himself, and he says this, "If anyone, this is in Mark 9:35, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all." That's greatness with God. That's greatness in the kingdom. Your world is not telling you this. Your world is telling you the opposite of this. You've got to understand this to, to receive Christ and follow Christ. Again, in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 and through 45, when James and John are saying, we want to sit at your right and your left hand, you know, in the power and glory of your kingdom. Jesus says this, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And then, of course, Mark 10, 45. The key verse in all the gospel of Mark. To get Jesus, right? For even the son of man, that's Jesus, came not to be served, but to do what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom, to give his life as a ransom for many. So we're talking about God's gospel of servanthood. That's what we celebrate as we come to this table today. God's glory and goodness, not only in his transcendent power, but also in his imminent humble service for your salvation, so that you might come to this table today. So application, you see the notes, uh, you can follow along with me in the notes. I wanna invite you again to find your true self, significance, salvation, and service in God's delight and in his gospel of servanthood. And then in his spirit to follow him, the beloved, and serve his mission to bring God's justice to the nations. First of all, the self. Um, I'll come back to this. Don't have a lot of time to do justice on this right now, but let me just say, self is the huge issue or one of the couple of huge issues in our age, okay? Um, And I want to invite you in the gospel to find your true identity, your true self in belonging to God and God's community through Jesus, which is what this table is about. Um, Let me briefly remind you that in classical understanding, which predominated after the Renaissance and Enlightenment, really kind of for early modern history, that the classic ma- maxim that comes from classical ma- maxim is, know thyself, okay? That's the guideline for like the 1600s, the 1700s, the 1800s. You get into the 20th century, though, and increasingly by the late 20th century, we've shifted to a new mantra. This is the mantra of baby boomers of Disney movies. Okay, of the late 20th century, the 1980s, 1990s, total control here. Um, be yourself. Be true to yourself, little princess. Go find who you really are. Be true to yourself. Okay, that's the late 20th century. But now we're in the postmodern 21st century, and that mantra has been shifted to the side. And the third one is this: not just be yourself. Redefine yourself. Re define yourself. I want to be a female frog. Maybe that's what I am because I feel like it. So define yourself, redefine yourself. This is the new religion of the 21st century. You have to understand this to understand anything that's going on in social media, in most politics, in most media right now, and in the way we are called to evangelize. Gen X, yeah, definitely millennials, and definitely the I generation, the I generation, Gen Z, those who are teenagers and 20-somethings nowadays. And let me just draw your attention, maybe I can come back to this in another context. If you want me to teach it to you sometime or read it with you, we could certainly do it. One of the most important books of the last five or so years is Carl Truman's The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Did you hear the title of this book? The rise and triumph of the modern self. I have it cited for you in the notes there. The subtitle is Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and the Road to Sexual Revolution. Uh, Truman is really basing a lot of what he's writing, very influenced by the Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor, who back in the 1980s already saw what was going to happen in this century with the self- becoming the religion, the self-expressed self, becoming the religion of our age. And if anybody opposes that, you're probably gonna be burned at the stake, at least figuratively by social media. How dare you? That's hate speech. That's hostile to me and my self-expression. The religion of this age is the rise and triumph of the modern self. Uh, Truman explores all this. The paradigm of personhood is now weaponized for progressive political purposes, but also for all kinds of social purposes, for therapeutic sexual and psychological self-redefinition, and any claim or critique that threatens my self-expression is not only hate speech, but probably needs to be criminalized. Does any of this ring a bell to you in the 21st century? Okay, Uh, so that's where we are, but here's the thing about the gospel. What the gospel is inviting you to do is not to find who you are from within your own emotions or fantasies, okay? But to hear from God who made you and who saves you, who you are. And to find your identity not in expressing myself, but finding myself in him, okay? Finding myself in Christ, the servant. These are radically different messages, radically different religions. And if you don't understand the difference of these religions, you're gonna have a hard time talking with, discursing with, listening to people who have been raised in the age and religion of the rise and the triumph of the modern self. This is where a lot of evangelism is gonna take place in the years ahead, if you're interested in the gospel. So that's self, find your true identity belonging to God's beloved and his beloved community. That is the gospel that you are called to believe in and to share with others. It's a different gospel than what this age brings us. Belong to God. Be a child belonging to our Father. Be a disciple who knows, believes in, and follows Jesus. And be united with Him in the communion of His Holy Spirit. That's the message of the Bible, the gospel. That's who you are. That's a real self through God. Secondly, significance and salvation, receive from him your importance. You don't have to make yourself importance. Okay, relax. If you belong to him, you're already infinitely important. Do you hear what I'm saying? You don't have anything to prove. You have nothing to grab onto, nothing to be fearful about. Because your significance, not just yourself, but related, your significance and your salvation are in him. He's already done it all. He's already done it all. That's the gospel. You belong to Him. Your salvation, your significance are in Him. You're priceless. You're priceless to Him. And then, flowing from that, significance in service. Discover your life's impact. God wants you to have an impact. You're not saved for, for just kind of relaxing. You're saved once you trust in Him to go forth in mission. Okay? We'll talk about that more as we move through. Isaiah 42 and beyond. Today, I want to invite you to join in his grace and to trust in his mishpat, his justice. God is very concerned about justice, but it's a justice that comes through his ordering. We'll talk about that more in the coming Sundays. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that as we come to your table, we might know you and be found in you and find and receive ourselves, our significance, our salvation, and our service in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.